Hello, and welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. Tonight, we dive deep into the dramatic courtroom showdown of the infamous Lizzie Borden trial in our part two. Get ready for legal theatrics, jaw-dropping testimonies, and a verdict that continues to stir debate to this day. This is Scarlet Tavern. All right, so, um, one thing I want to talk about before we get back into it, um, is we have added a new feature to our website. If you go to www.dammediallc.com. That's D-A-M-E-D-I-A-L-L-C dot com. If you click on the Scarlet Tavern tab, you will be able to see all the photos from everything we discuss in our podcasts. These are photos that we cannot put on social media due to them getting uh, getting removed or being explicit. Um, however, you must enter a password to see that section the password is scarlet letter s-c-a-r-l-e-t-t space l-e-t-t-e-r and make sure you capitalize the first letter in both of them um now just a side note that if you do enter that part of the site you do enter the password you are doing so at your own risk so please be aware of that when you are looking to view these photos as we take no responsibility for any triggering or anything that happens from you viewing these photos. Um, but, uh, all right. I mean, I mean, half the fun is just seeing what happens, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so next week I am... Going to Gen Con. Yeah. Super exciting. Uh, my dad will actually be there Saturday. What? Wait, what? Yeah, they're 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 buying day passes and going Saturday. Because it's yeah, a, it was a um a good and necessary business expense. So. So. Sure. It's only a six-hour drive for you. Um, How much are tickets? Like eighty. Yeah. yeah. Um. But like for us, it's an hour and fifty-seven minute drive. So, um, but yeah. So, anybody that is listening to this that is going to be at Gen Con. I will be running some games for World of Game Design. Uh, come see me. Come find me. Uh, you can ask for me at the booth, and they will tell you where I am. But, yeah, I will have some goodies to give away while I'm there. Um, but it's going to be a ton of fun. 
that will be next weekend. We will still have a a uh, episode coming out on that Friday. Um, but yeah, so let's pick back up with the trial parts um for Lizzie Borden. All right, all right. So we'll pick up from the investigation, I think is where we left off. Right. Yeah, yeah, I believe they we had already kind of established found the bodies, cops are kinda of honing in now on Yeah, it, and they they did such a stellar job throughout the whole investigation. So proud. So so let's jump right into it Lizzie's initial answers to the police officers questions were at times strange and contradictory initially she reported hearing a groan or a scraping noise or a distress call before entering the house two hours later she told police she had heard nothing and entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong when asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving a note asking her to visit a sick friend. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. Sullivan and a neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, were halfway up the stairs, their eyes level with the floor, when they looked into the guest room and saw Abby lying face down on the floor. Most of the officers who interviewed Lizzie reported that they disliked her attitude. Some said she was too calm and poised. Despite her behavior and changing alibis, she was not checked for bloodstains. Police did search her room, but it was a cursory inspection. At the trial, they admitted to not doing a proper search because Lizzie was not feeling well. They were subsequently criticized for their lack of diligence. Um, so a couple things. Um, the one book that Amy and I have been reading is uh, a breakdown of the whole trial, and it covers some of the investigation. And part of the reason why the the officer felt like Lizzie was obtuse in her responses um, and being a little bit difficult was at one point where they asked about. Um, if they knew where her stepmother was, she didn't, she never immediately answered them with that whole, well, she, she received a note. Um, she basically um, not so politely told the police officer that um, that was not her mother, that her mother had died as a child and, you know, kind of blew him off after that point. Um, I mean, kind of. I mean, it, at this point, she is aware that Abby's dead, right? Her stepmother's dead, and they're not like they're not leading up to it. Well, I mean, supposedly, supposedly, the she claims she never knew until everybody found the body, um, you know, kind of thing, and. Yet others are saying, well, she knew the whole time and that's why she never answered the way, you know, answered directly and kind of twisted her answers and changed her alibi and story and all that stuff. I mean, because if you're asking if a cop is, I mean, I don't know, 
obviously we already know that Lizzie has a very troubled relationship with her stepmother. She's not aware that she's dead at this point or that anybody in her household is alive, so to speak. I can kind of, I don't mean, again, the cop is asking me a question. I would very much just like, no, what? Why are you asking me about where my mother is? Or whatever you feel your status is with her. The cop is asking me. I'm like, hmm, this is odd. Um, but if if she's not aware of this, you know, the, the circumstances yet, I can kind of see her being like, she's not my mother. I really wouldn't go too much into detail about that, but about my mother died when I was here. Yeah, I don't care. Right. I, right. I'd be the cop at the writing. I was like, I don't care about your familial, how you feel about this. Just answer the damn question. I can really see it like that because he knows she's dead. The mother right. and stepmother's dead. So, but if she's already, but if he already told her or something, then, then yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, and and in regards to like searching the um that like the bedroom and stuff like that, um, during during the trial, and we'll cover it more. That there were multiple accounts where the, all the officers changed their story. One was. I never got to do a um, search of the bedroom where Lizzie was because I wasn't allowed in. The doctor wouldn't let me in. And then, well, yeah, we did get in, but they ushered us right back out as soon as um, we made entry into the room. And another one was like, oh, yeah, well, we got, yeah, we got access to the room and they never blocked us from looking at anything. And they were very um, helpful and cooperative. So, um, take it for what it's worth in, in regards to this particular statement, you know, saying that it was more of a cursory than, than a full-blown search. Um, they do go back at the funeral when, when the family, uh, when the parents are on the way to the funeral, the police department and the chief of police takes it upon himself to use that as his time to thoroughly investigate the house. When they're not there at the funeral? Correct. Correct. I mean... And... Go ahead. I've never actually had to do, like, a proper search, search execute a search warrant before. Um, but, I mean, I don't think there's anything stopping them from doing it. Is it in bad taste? Yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, who wants to come back from burying two of your family members and see a whole plethora of cops outside your in, going in and out of your home, ripping apart stuff? Caleb, I mean, do you got anything like, I, I know you probably, you, you probably done some search warrants before. Um, so, I mean, with the house is an active crime scene even it it is technically an active crime scene all the way up until the trial um depending on the filing of lawyers and district attorneys and stuff like that um so law enforcement has access to the house 
at any point in time that they wish. If they are doing everything the right way, which we know that they didn't, um, the family would not be allowed back in that house whatsoever. Because then that obviously taints your crime scene and stuff like that. Um, the So, just for everybody's knowledge, uh, when we say a cursory inspection... Basically, what that is, is that is just a quick glance over the scene, making sure there's no obvious weapons, obvious uh, evidence that is for the crime, but it doesn't, a cursory investigation does not go in depth. So they did not toss the room, they did not look for letters, they didn't look for this and that. If it were me... Uh, so a, cur- a cursory investigation is standard. You, right. When you first get to a scene, you always do a cursory investigation on every room of the house. And then from looking at the crime scene, then you say, okay, here's our suspects. Here's what we need. Now we need to dig further. I don't give a shit if she's sick. She can go be sick somewhere else. Legit. 100%. Yeah. So, wait, there, wait, she so can wait. go to the fucking hospital. Home? Yeah, she, she was in, in her, her room. She's in her bedroom with, with the doctor. doctor. Well, no, no, no. no. So I, I, I see initially, okay, your thing's dead. They're down the hall investigating your your dead parents, essentially. But afterwards, when they remove the body and everything, is she still in this house? Like, is she still? They like, they let them stay in the house. Correct. So so, but this is the thing. Uh, this is the thing. Is during the investigation, no, you're, as soon as I arrive on scene as the officer, as the supervisor in charge, whatever, my first thing is everybody get the fuck out of the house. The more people that are in the house for longer, the more your evidence disappears. And it's contaminated, distorted, everything. Correct. 100%. So... Lizzie would be out of the house if she really is feeling ill. Well, guess what? Go to the fucking hospital. I will come meet you there and get your statement from the hospital. Um, but that was their number one mistake. Number two was not trying to find blood on her. Well, and, and along that point, since we're going there, they could not even tell what color dress she had on that day. Okay. So the, there's no in, I, I, there's no field notes, there's no nothing. No. Um, one one stated it was a pink dress, one stated it was a blue dress, one stated it was a white dress, one stated I don't know, I just saw that she had an apron covering her dress and I checked it and I didn't see anything. I sincerely um, doubt it. Correct. So, there there was no, um, well, we're leaning towards her as a possible suspect, and we need to, to make sure that there's, like, no blood splatter, no, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, on her person or on her clothes. So, from the get-go, the investigation that they did was clusterfuck. 
I, I don't think they knew what they were doing. I mean, obviously, it's obvious they didn't know what they were doing, but are, are we sure the actual police showed up and not just so, the guys in costumes? Right? Okay, so the other thing that they fucked up with, the number one thing is securing the scene. Correct. So crime scene tape goes up, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? All of that still existed back then. Yes. Yes. Guess what they didn't do? Uh, tape it off. They didn't secure the crime scene. As in, people that were on looking were able to walk into the house and look. Right. People that were just walking by were going, oh, this is cool. I'm going to go in there and look and see what's happening. To, to the point where they had the body covered and people would look at the couch and all that kind of stuff and yeah i mean um and they while they're performing their search one of the neighbors who decides to be mr looky loo is looking through the back door and they go well since you're looking since you're standing here at the back door you're now guarding the back door make sure nobody comes in or out I, I'm really starting to doubt if the Falls River actually showed up. Right. Um, so, and one of one of the other things too is Lizzie Borden from the get go was the primary suspect. Now, see, of all the thing that's going. You're. We you just went dead. You're. We can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um. Sorry, folks. Technical difficulties on my end. Uh. No. See, of all the things that have that have been going on right now with this investigation, that's the only part right now that I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that. No. Literally. It, I. I. I'm sorry, but it's wrong. Initially. Initially. Let me. Let me rephrase. Initially. Okay. We got a suspect. Now start. Now start but, the investigation. But. Eliminator. Here's the thing. When I when I say Lizzie Borden was the primary suspect, I I mean pro- Lizzie Borden was their only suspect. Correct. Lizzie Lizzie Borden was the sole person that they were looking at, which means by looking only at Lizzie, you have blinders on. That means oh, you're yeah. going to miss any crucial evidence leading to leading you to other suspects, such as the uncle or anything like that. You are focusing on one person. Should you should you sit there and investigate that person? Sure. What we would do now is we would interview the person. We would interview the suspect, and then we would get an alibi. Um, and again, I wanna I wanna kind of break these down because I'm sure most people watch crime shows and stuff like that. But alibi, of course, is what were you doing at the time that the crime occurred that saves you from being a suspect in the crime? Um, So you're going to get their alibi. Then you are going to say, okay, sit tight. Don't go anywhere. I'm then going to go. And nowadays you're getting online. You're making phone calls. You're checking this alibi. You, if it's a friend corroborating the alibi, okay, well now I need somebody else to corroborate because this is just a friend that is sticking up for them. So you were at a restaurant. 
all right, well, I'm going to go into the restaurant and see if they have... A, exactly. Records, if they have you on camera, if they have you on camera, stuff like that. And then if that alibi checks out, boom, I'm done. I'm going to the next person. However, if if I went straight for Lizzie Borden and I said, you were my prime suspect. And because she even, I believe she even tried to say the uncle did it or hinted at it. She never came out and specifically said that it was the uncle. She said that she heard um, two or three undisclosed men of shady character come to the house early in the morning, nine-ish, to discuss business with her father because they were upset over business dealings that he did. And, and boom, that's now my next primary suspect. Right. Exactly. And this is what and that's what I meant. Like that's what what I was getting at. Now of course Fall River, maybe Fall River police. At this point investigation, I, I stand by my firm belief. I just well, I really just don't think they showed up. I think it's and, just a bunch of dudes. And let me give you a little bit more insight as to what their frame of mind was. After this initial investigation, and they they do a preliminary line of questioning, okay, before they do an official, okay, yeah, you're my suspect. They had already obtained an arrest warrant for Lizzie that was in the back pocket of the chief of police, but was not officially served on her during this time of question she was also strategically surrounded and Caleb would understand what I'm talking about not so much as you know in all points but in enough key positions that you can't leave and was never advised of her um, Miranda rights, what we call our Miranda rights. Yeah, so, I don't yes, know right what in the late 1800s they would have, if anything, they would have said. I'm sure someone of Lizzie's social standing would have gotten that. So, well, just it was also real common practice then for the the DA, just you know what we what we would call the district attorney or the you know investigator for the magistrate to inform you that hey. You may want to have counsel for this because we're leaning towards this, this, and this. So and it was common practice then to do that. Also, it should be it should be noted that Fall River is, while at this point in time, not a small town. It wasn't small. It was, I think, it, I, I, unless I I am mistaken, it's probably the third largest one. Definitely under Boston, but I don't know right. if it was the size, if it was equal to or greater than Springfield. And I State believe Capitol. Boston is only ninety miles away. Yeah, so, so this isn't. It's not a small town by like like we're not talking two thousand people, but this is. I gotta believe that if Lizzie gave an alibi, somebody there's enough people who probably would have seen her. 
because she probably, you know, she's not going down to 7-Eleven in some shady neighborhood. Right. But this also, again, this is this is a line of inquiry, you said, with the shady business dealings, the husband, nope. Where's the investigation on Andrew Borden? Now, I will grant you, um, depending on who the underworld is, you know, underworld an underworld shady dealing, I, I would be very surprised to simply... If Andrew Borden is killed, then yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, you know, hey, don't, don't screw over the wrong people, but that's very unusual they just go after her but but did they do any investigation on abby like did she have defensive wounds or anything she so she was so it disappeared she was just taken by surprise um the the um fall river foreigner stated that there were no defensive wounds that um, the initial blow uh, more than likely killed her and then the other I believe it was what 16 yeah um, blows to, to the head or just excessive or basically excessive overkill so um, reason I bring that up is because I can imagine an alternate scenario to Lizzie killing her parents, not Lizzie, is a Andrew Borden has a meet a morning early morning meeting with some shady business partners he has that he may or may not have screwed over, don't know. Either way, the irrelevant, they hate him, they want to kill him. They they take an axe to him and they kill him, you know, to send a message to you know for that. Abby walks in on it, they chase her up the stairs, and they kill her. Because someone just witnessed their crime. They didn't know Abby was upstairs or something, they just thought Andrew was home. And they kill and they kill her to shut her up. Well, but, and the, only, the only problem with that is Maggie says, nope, no, there would, nobody came to the house. I was outside cleaning the windows. I had clear sight into the house from the outside windows I never saw any of them uh, the only one that had access to it was Lizzie so Maggie's kind of playing both sides here um, she uh, kind of changes her story a couple times about the dress that Lizzie had on and then didn't have on and then one minute Lizzie was in this part of the room and the other minute she Lizzie was in this other part of the room then she does admit to yeah she was out in the barn um, at the time of the attacks and so we've got Lizzie make supposedly making up stories we've got Maggie making up stories unfortunately the only two that legitimately know what happened can't say anything exactly I mean so. I, I'm also from police tactics, just also surrounding her, putting the pressure, having the warrant on. I mean, somebody was chasing for a, for a promotion for a, for a headline, at least. We'll get to that part here in a second. Um, so, like, when Amy was reading that part to me, I, I wanted her to, to, like, just go through and read different parts of the trial uh, while we were driving around today. And... Um, that was one of the things that came up 
in the trial was how um, a reasonable person, when they were surrounded by the amount of law enforcement that was present, would be of the mindset that they were not free to leave and that any statements I make are not going to be voluntary statements. I mean, yeah, it's, you've got every, all the exits are, we're going to use blocked. Correct. Just because I sincerely, it, I mean, honestly, it's 50-50. If Lizzie had tried to leave, like, sincerely, like, I'm leaving and just bolted the door, would they have stopped her? Who knows? Oh, 100%. Uh, I, I believe that they 100% would have. Hence, that's why they already had the arrest warrant in hand. Yeah. So that if she did not cooperate, then they would have said, okay, well, you know what? You're under arrest. Um, now it's now it's formal. So um, so they go and do this whole curse, cursory thing and, and all that kind of stuff. They um, talk to Lizzie after she is up in the bedroom initially she is given um several medications one of which is morphine by the doctor by dr bowen the family doctor and sent upstairs and he goes upstairs to follow her you know to take care of her and but basically plays gatekeeper um for the bedroom mm. and they do cooperate. Um, they do allow them to go in. And one officer says that he um, did a brief look over of Lizzie, uh, didn't notice what dress she had on, didn't see any blood on her, did check the closet, um, but didn't see anything of significance. So the question was presented, well, what exactly were you looking for in the closet? another suspect did you expect to see somebody there were you looking for the murder weapon he goes oh, i couldn't tell you what i was looking for i don't know huh? okay right i mean right i mean also you're curious you're just looking you're looking to look you're fishing basically it almost sounds like he's fishing he's looking for something to stick out and say evidence clue right. i don't know that but at the same time, though, it's again, who, who the hell knows? I mean, this is very clearly not a professional force we're dealing with, which is interesting for a town this size. Uh, even even back then, I expect there to be, I don't know, a little more. I mean, for God's sakes, probably the gunslingers out west could have probably done a better investigative job. Yeah, but remember, we're dealing with... A man who, from all accounts, was not liked by the rest of the town. Okay. So why? So they're just gonna half-ass his investigation. He's dead. We don't have to deal with him anymore. Right. Right. We're and we're just gonna do this investigation to save face and say that we're right. not say that we did it. Yeah. And I it would... should also be noted that at this time, people don't like Lizzie either. She I, guess, not I, guess just, I guess nobody really likes the Borden family, period. Um, no. Uh, pretty much no. The only one that once really the wife died was Emma because she was soft spoken. What was that, Caleb? Once the wife died, 
it, it kind of went downhill. It did. It did. Um, and and that'll come up here in the preliminary hearing. Um, but and so we here we have them doing or not doing a, a search of the room. Um, supposedly, police officers go down into the basement and find two hatches, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. This I whole. Mean it's going to be significant because one officer writes in his notes that he found the hatchets the axes and the um, uh, what they labeled as the handleless hatchet and he put them in a bag and gave them over to the chief of the police as in put all of them in the same bag okay so right and and you being law enforcement caleb being law enforcement being law law enforcement we all know that rule number one individual bags they're separated for obvious reasons cross contamination all that kind of stuff chain of custody blah 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 so you don't know what what's what exactly you... and you don't know which one is the murder weapon or any of these is the murder weapon you don't know but you're still going to treat them as such so supposedly they were all put in into like a, a basically a brown paper bag and put in there um, all together and were taken to the chief for um, safekeeping um, another one says <coughs> excuse me that um, oh I I found the hatchets and I wrapped them in a piece of brown paper and I delivered them to the chief. Everybody a, just wants to a, be right. A third one on trial testifies. Well, I wrapped it in some old newspaper that was like five by five. And I handed it to the chief for safekeeping. Then the physician for, or the coroner for the Falls River there says, well, I happened to be walking by at the time of this whole thing happening. So I helped with the investigation and I found, you know, the hatchets and I turned them over and to add even more of a what the hell they took the president of the bank oh why not right they took the president of the bank and had him search the basement Uh, right so they retrieve these these hatchets and axes and whatnot yet and they they do notice now legitimately they do notice that one of them has a has a broken handle and the the break appears to be recent in comparison to the other um items down there and that particular axe head or hatchet head um appeared to have been uh cleaned off and then um coated with a 
uh, substance that resembled like uh, coal dust, but it was not the same type that was on the same sediment that was on the axes on the other ones. So, so question if this is something you've read. So we've seen these hatchets, hatchets and axes and stuff in the face. Mm -hmm. That's my question. Is this a wood? They have a coal furnace, or are they having wood? They did. They did. They had a coal furnace. Okay, so now that's a little odd. Now to me, that's a little, a little, a little odd. Because again, I but I don't know the layout of the house. It could be they have a fireplace that they're using in there. So, but that just seems an excessive amount of hatchets and axes in a house that doesn't even use. Well, you yeah, but you can you can use hatchets to break up the coal too. Correct. You can use it to break up the coal. They, I never really used coal, so I have no idea. They also had, it was basically a farm that they were on. They slaughtered their own animals in the barn, etc. So they're, they would be used for that as well. Um, and they also owned several other farms throughout Fall River. Okay. So the... The argument was, well, those those are being used not just here, but in other locales. Um, the the bank president says, no, I'm the one that found them, and I turned them over to the chief of police. Now, when it comes time to the trial, and they're going, okay, well, which one was the murder weapon? Well, we suspect it was this one. Well, did you find the handle? Me well, yeah, the handle was recovered. Well, can we see that handle and see what it looks like? We don't know where it is. Yeah, we don't we don't know where it is. And then the chief goes as far as saying at the time of the trial, I can send officers back to the house to look for it if you want me to. Oh, that's nice. So, just... Yeah. You know, like from from the get go, it, it was a shit show. It, I so, mean, it's almost comedically bad. Like, yeah. like my like my coppery yeah. is is like it's numb from pain. Like I would say, oh, my brain hurt. No, my cop brain hurts. No, no, it's I I've just been so desensitized to the stupidity and the and the flagrant just breaking of basic procedures and i should also know in the 1890s it, it seems like a long time ago like oh police departments were old most police departments at least in new england had very much been long established like 1890s yes yeah. a lot of midwest to western places minus california some parts of california you know where the police departments if you look at the history these are when the police departments really start becoming very formal the town marshal is gone the county the sheriff is, is taking over just detainee operations towns villages and cities are forming legitimate police departments and i don't know exactly when the fall river police fall felt uh, was founded but i know just from my time in new england they were ahead of the curve just just from my basic understanding so again I'm just, I'm not seeing, like, the most basic of police procedures. We all know, you don't even, 
you don't even need to really be there. Secure the crime scene. Make sure nobody can walk in. You know, nobody's expecting freaking CSI Fall River, but at the right. same time, you know, I'm pretty sure I don't. I, Caleb, correct me if I'm wrong. If I missed, did I miss the, class, the part of the Security Forces Academy where we allow the president of your local bank to do, you know, do the crime scene investigation with you? Uh, yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, so, and the uh, Fall River Police Department was founded in 1854. So, we've so in theory we've got at least 40 years of experience on there, plus whatever whatever institution was there beforehand that presumably did some kind of investigation. But again, basic police, where is it? Don't see it. This is why I keep saying the the maybe Fall River Police in this in this situation because I'm I'm really genuinely unless I go back in time and physically see the cops there I just I, I can't believe we're actually there because this is this is all I would almost say did they were they trying to throw the investigation I understand going through the motion but at the same time it's like well what, what are you doing I mean if we look at it though. Again, the Fall River Police Department was formed in 1854. This is late 1800s. So they've only been around for 40 years. It, it, it's pretty new. There, there's, there's stuff that we're still learning now at over a thousand years. Or oh, yeah, whatever, like I said, not, but... I'm not expecting CSI. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting to find DNA. I'm not expecting fingerprints. Oh. But, but here's here's the significance to what you're where you're going at with this Ben. They had enough foresight that when they did look at the hatchet with a broken handle, they noticed quote unquote two dark hairs, possibly human in nature. Said hairs were sent to uh, Harvard for analysis. It came back during the trial that it wasn't two, that only one was set. They never did get two hairs. They only got one hair, and that hair ended up being bovine in nature and not human in nature. But it also needs to be noted that all of those weapons mm -hmm. were never removed from the house. Initially, correct. Initially. It was not until... Um, just before the trial, after they had arrested her, that they go and remove all of those items from the house. Let's uh, never did recover the handle. Let's uh, talk about this autopsy that was done on the kitchen table. Yeah, so oh, I'm um, gonna be sick, and you know me. It doesn't the uh, the the autopsies bad. were done on the kitchen fucking table yeah. at. At the Borden house. At the Borden house, they were done uh, at the kitchen table. They brought in the um, mortician's um, slab, you know, um, to put the, the bodies on. They removed the stomach contents of both Abby and Andrew, and those were bottled up for uh, um, investigation and, and whatnot to determine if the family had been poisoned as 
Lizzie had stated previously. They're poison, but someone just decided. Well, and it it obviously should be noted that it came back negative. Correct. It came back negative. They also took milk, um, the family's milk, because it was suspected that it was in that. Because it was the milk also, was left out on the counter. Right. They had also um, taken some of the mutton and things of that nature and sent all those to Harvard for analysis as well. It all came back um, that there was no poison. Um, and part of that was done because Lizzie was suspected of trying to purchase a... Uh, Hydrocyanic, yes. Hydrocyanic acid what is that? in a diluted form. So, um, <laughs> so hydrocyanic acid, it's also called prusic acid. Um, basically, it's a extremely poisonous and flammable liquid that boils above room temperature um it's basically hydrogen cyanide it's hydrogen and cyanide put together so it is cyanide in water form because we know uh there are yeah so yeah so this is in liquid form okay right, right. now lizzie claimed that she tried to get this acid to clean pelts that she had. The uh, pharmacist would not sell it to her because she did not have a prescription. So somebody does the right thing. No, I'm not going to sell it to you because this is just hanky. Something's not right. You don't have a prescription for this. Um... And then it should be noted that the coroner basically called bullshit on this because it has no antiseptic properties, which means it would not, it would, would not have done anything for the furs. Correct. That was going to be my next question. Is this used for No, no. So, so you would have... Um, you would have used something antiseptic to get rid of any of the... Uh, like something like bleach or something a little less. Uh, I mean, actually, depending on the fur, you could use bleach because it wouldn't bleed. It wouldn't uh, go through the fur. Um, but you're you're basically removing any of the diseases, any of the nasty shit that comes from skinning the animal, plus any of the remaining like sinew and stuff like that. Right. But definitely this hydro. No, it had no antiseptic properties. It was it was poison in liquid form. It was legit poison. Um, so that spurred the, the autopsy, and that bullshit call came out in the trial. Well, was was it possible that it was? She was trying to buy it for antiseptic reasons, and he said, "No, definitely not. It has no antiseptic properties at all." Hence why I did, you know, in the, autopsy. In the autopsy and hearing from the neighbors that she tried to buy this. So, um, and then 
I know we touched on it briefly. So they do the autopsy in in the dining room, okay? In in the Borden dining room. That's all done. They secure basically what they need to secure. The Lizzie and Emma go off to have the funeral. The bodies of mom and dad are being transported to the cemetery to have the the service and be buried. The police put the ixnay on it. Stop. No, no, no. You can't have those bodies. Now, here's my question. Can they do that? Yeah. Like, I know they can. I know the, the house is a crime scene, but could uh, they actually... Yes. They... So, it, it really depends on... Really, it depends on what your warrant states. If if your warrant states that you need access to the bodies and you are actively investigating the bodies still, which, really, they had their pictures, they tested the contents of the stomach, they really didn't need the bodies anymore. No. And along that note, in... Number one, an autopsy is not going to be done on the dining room table. That would uh, that the, would right, get that would get right. thrown out in court. Right. And number two, you are not going to release said bodies until your whole, whole investigation is done. Correct. So the fact that they released the bodies back to the family for burial and then decided, whoa, 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 we're not done with the bodies. That was a little hanky. So here they turn around and they get the bodies for the sole purpose of removing the head of mom and dad. And the county coroner then takes the heads home and oh. Caleb takes, yes, takes them home. Okay. And Caleb, this is up your alley, uses lobster pots to boil the heads to remove the skin from, from the skulls so he can look at the skulls and make plaster molds of them and such for future reference. Okay, so... Oh, my God. <laughs> and first of all... Okay, first pressing question. Caleb, what are you doing with lobster pots? No, it's... That you would... <laughs> Um, so this is, this is, this is the thing. So again, this is the late 18, number one chain of custody is a big thing. Um, throughout this whole thing, we see bad chain of custody, um, taking them home is a no go. You have a lab there. You need to utilize that. Now there are multiple ways. Now, Keep in mind that this is the late 1800s. The ways that I'm talking about now have evolved since then. Um, there are different ways to remove skin uh, for autopsies. You have maceration. Um, that basically you soak the bones in... Water, usually warm or hot, to allow the soft tissues to decompose and separate from the bone over time. It takes a little bit longer. Um, one that a lot of people like because it's clean 
is using dermestid beetles. So they basically put a colony of dermestid beetles in, which feed on the flesh, leaving the bones behind. Um, if anybody has ever watched the show Bones, you see Bones use that all the time. Um, Bones was a pretty accurate show when it comes to forensics. Yeah. Forensics. Um, because they, they got people to work with them. The other thing is chemical decomp. Um, usually it's some type of, uh, safe acid that will remove the skin, but keep the bone. Um, but so what he is doing here is maceration. That was the first form to ever be done. So boiling it, removing. If you think about when you put, when you're cooking and let's say I'm slow cooking a pork that is bone in or even smoking it, that heat is slowly dissolving the, the tissue away from the bone, which then makes it fall off the bone. It's the same thing. He's just I want ham. he's just doing it with human heads. So think about that when you want ham. Um, the next time you go to smoke that roast, there, buddy. I mean, I will, I'll watch the glorious movie while I'll eat while I'll be eating chicken Alfredo. And think of Lizzie so, Borden. Yes, yeah, well, yes. I've literally watched the movie Event Horizon. For any of our fans out there who know this movie, is it is a great space horror film and it is glorious hell and. I remember as a kid watching it, my, me, my mom, and dad would watch it because we're all horror fans. And my mom is eating dinner in the living room, and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't eat!" And I'm just like, "Ah, damn, it's glaring them like a fish." Um, okay, more, more there. I, I'll eat right. I, I glory stuff don't turn. But Although, yeah. Oh, I do. I I I, I really pissed off. Remember to rinse out the, out the lobster. Pot Probably not. Um, so, but it sounds like, despite the fact that this is a pretty, this, this is a no go to take this home with you. Yeah, I mean, it's chain of custody. Yeah, it, it does sound like this. Practice. It, yeah, no, this isn't right, but it does sound like the methodology of trying to find it does seem like it's actually a pretty sound thing. Like, okay, let's let's see what happened here. Cause sure, I mean, I mean, the means in which he did it, yes. No, uh, hundred percent, but but not not doing it at the house. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. So, we'll, we'll we'll jump to the the inquest here, and this is where the whole morphine thing comes becomes key. Lizzie appeared at the inquest hearing on August eighth. Her request to have her family attorney present was refused under state statute, providing that an inquest must be held in private. She had been prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves, and it is supposedly it's it's possible that her testimony was affected by this. Now it did come out in the trial, under oath, that at the time of the inquest she was under the influence of morphine, and every, everyone within that inquest hearing was aware of of that fact. Um, Lizzie's behavior was erratic, and she often refused to answer a question, even if the answer would be beneficial to her. She often contradicted herself and provided alternating accounts on the morning in question, such as saying she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, 
then saying she was in the dining room doing some ironing, then saying she was coming down the stairs. Now, <clears throat> the district attorney jumps on this. He gets very uh, aggressive and confrontational. And on August 11th, he serves her with a warrant of arrest and throws her in jail. Um, the inquest testimony becomes the basis for the, the, the big debate, the modern debate now, regarding uh, her guilt or innocence. That whole uh, account was ruled inadmissible at her trial in June of 1893. Um, and then uh, various newspaper articles noted that Lizzie possessed a uh, stolid misdemeanor and bit her lips flushed and bent toward attorney Adams. Uh, it was also reported that the testimony provided in the inquest had, quote, caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. The inquest received significant press attention nationwide, including an extensive three-page write-up in the Boston Globe. A grand jury began uh, hearing evidence on November 7th, and Borden was indicted on December 2nd. So, in regards to the whole morphine thing, it comes out later in the trial that she was under the influence, and, and that was the reason for her being all over the place in her testimony and in her questioning. Um, and in regards to her legal counsel not being allowed as a result of that state statute, that state statute was found to be not, not pertinent. That she was to have legal counsel present at the time, and they denied her that. Oh, we're just, we're just down. Oh, it's yeah, about to yeah. get worse. Oh, yeah. So, um, Lizzie's trial took place in in New Bedford starting on June 5th, 1893. Prosecuting attorneys were Hosea M. Knowlton and future U.S. Supreme Court Justice William H. Moody. Defending were Andrew B. Jennings, Melvin O. Adams, and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson. And Robinson, defense? Yes. Now, <laughs> And, and everything that we read in regards to this whole trial, she basically had the trifecta for the defense team. Um, uh, Caleb, who's who's the big uh, defense attorney for the Stars? Uh, I can't think what his name is. Johnny Cochran? Yes, Johnny Cochran. Yeah. Basically, this team would be the Johnny Cochran of, the, of that era. And what made it so significant with having um, Robinson there, he was known to be very smooth, very debonair. He had a, um, a very calm speaking tone and he was found to be very, very persuasive and and to the point where he would basically lure you into a conversation 
about something that you didn't necessarily want to talk about until he got to the point that he wanted and then he would just clamp down. Well, so, and then let's also note that the most significant part of him being a part of the defense is that he is the one that got one of the judges on their seat. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The residing so, judge is only there because of him. Correct. He appointed so, him as a judge. Yeah, kind, kind of interesting um, in, in the choices that she has for defense attorneys. So, um, five days before the trial's commencement on June 1st, Another axe murder occurred in Fall River. This time the victim was Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and Borden murders were striking and were also noted by jurors. However, Jose Carrera de Mayo, a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894 and was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. Money speaks, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- makes you wonder if uh, Lizzie paid somebody to commit another murder to help get her off. Well, could have. Could have. A lot of speculation out there. Or, um, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's also the fact that so nowadays, this would be looked at as a very big coincidence. I, I mean, now we don't really believe in a coincidence, but th- because everything is held so close to the vest now. However, back then, everybody could just walk in the fucking house and see the murders. So this man could have been one of the people that walk inside, saw the right. murders, and went, "Huh, I'm gonna kill like that." Right. Maybe they'll, maybe I'll get away with it because they'll think it's her. So, yeah. So, um, well, like, um, one of the prominent points of discussion in the trial was the hatchet head, which was found in the basement. Unfortunately, the prosecution was not able to uh, convince the jury that this was the murder weapon. the prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood. Uh, one officer testified that a hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head, but another one contradicted it. Um, they eventually did find the handle with no blood, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, no bloody clothing was found at the scene. Uh, Russell testified that on August 8th, 1892, she had witnessed Lizzie burn a dress in the kitchen stove, saying that it had been ruined when she brushed against wet paint. During the course of the trial, defense never attempted to challenge the statement, nor did the prosecution or the police press the issue as to what was it that you were painting that you brushed against. So, and no no other dresses were were recovered. I mean, from the police. You're cutting, you're cutting in and out, dude. 
sorry about that. I thought I hit the unmute. Uh, I mean, if we're going to go off the police matter, was she even wearing clothes? Because nobody seems to determine what she was wearing. Well, one says that she was uh, initially wearing a blue dress, and then she changed into um, like a pink house coat kind of thing. Um, another said no that she had a pink dress on. One said that she had a white dress on, so nobody really knows for sure. I, I, I think they're making that up at this point because given the looking at the photos of there, there's going to be blood everywhere. going to be on Lizzie if she's, or the murderer. We'll just say the murderer for that. So, I mean, probably she either had to make a very hasty change of clothes or they just weren't looking. And then when they were, and then when they went back, to like, hey, I what did you see you wearing? I did. So give me a second. Oh, this is, I'm actually shocked the, the, the trial even got to this point. I mean, really, any judge we know today would have looked at that and been like, yeah, it's just a, I'm not even going to let you into the front door of the courtroom. So, I mean morphined up during investigation, denied counsel during an inquest, chain of evidence lost, I mean, what made, I, I would really, Caleb, what do you think would make the prosecutor go, even tr try to take this to trial? I mean, it seems like this, is, this was doomed to fail to begin with. Even if Lizzie was actually the murderer, there's no that she actually really did it. I, to be honest, I don't think that they knew that they could win. I think it was just going through the motions to say that they did it and whatever happened, happened. So. Yeah. I And I think that it, some of it too was the distaste for Lizzie Borden um, because she was so... Um, vocal. She was not a typical female of that era and that time. Um, she was very independent and strong-willed and was not liked in the community for that. So uh, I think that part of it was this was a way to um, shut her up and put her in her place. Um, and one of the things that I found interesting when we were talking about the whole police force, after Lizzie's arrest every officer involved in the investigation and the arrest was promoted to captain really yeah that's a lot of captains yeah yeah and what I am yeah. presuming is not a very big police department I'm not sure what the numbers were at that time but I know that six um, six officers were promoted to captain after her arrest <clears throat> Very interesting. Yeah. I would, you know what? I, I can't get past this, what Lizzie said about the shady business characters. So, I mean, it just seems like an odd story just to make up on the plot. They right. Got, right. So, I can't help but wonder if Andrew Gordon did have some kind of sketchy connections that he made with his businesses. 
and I would be very interested if, I mean, granted, also, I would love to see the records of the police at that time, to see if they had any other investigations, but, I mean, given the state of this investigation, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's all finger paints and do doodles and stuff. Well, and, and realistically, we could do a whole nother session just on the trial and all that kind of stuff, and a breakdown of each person, but... That was one of the things that the defense planted in the minds of the jury. Um, and all the jurors were male, um, younger male, 30s, um, and all of them had daughters. So that was interesting as well. And at some point, somebody presented that whole scenario, well, what, a, what about these questionable characters could they even get into the house because the the prosecution was like well you know the Bordens had had the house locked down so tight nobody could gain you know could gain access and um, the defense attorneys had one of the um, night watchmen climb onto the balcony from the outside street and gain access to the house yeah, I mean, it's possible this could very well have been a hit, like Andrew Ford screwed over, somebody, uh, Hatchet Man, literally, um, goes in to eliminate Andrew Ford, he, he sees that Abby is there, he can't get past her without making his presence known, so he ambushes her and kills her, this could be, I mean... Hitman doesn't really care who he, who he kills, takes care of Abby, um, and then he goes down and he kills Andrew, and he, he um, and then he's able to make another egress out wherever, and make sure that he's not seen, and that's it. That's probably the end. That could very well be the end of it. That's very, I would think that's a very plausible theory. It would, I probably if the Fall River Police had been a real police at this point, they probably should have investigated. Right. Well, I mean, unfortunately, we'll never know, you know. Um, it should be noted that um, Lizzie ended up getting acquitted on, I believe it was June 20th of 1893. The justices, the presiding justices at the time, um, they deliberated for about an hour and a half before quitting her, um, citing that the um, testimony that she gave at the Inquisition was not admissible. And that was pretty much what the prosecution was hanging their hat on. Mm -hmm. um, so once that was thrown out and they weren't able to use that, they really didn't have anything. Then they tried to uh, really piece the details together in regards to the acts, but they had fucked that up so bad. It was just such a debacle that the defense just ran all over it and shot it down. So, um, uh, you know, Lizzie ends up getting acquit uh, acquitted of it. And one of the best things that her defense team ever did was keep her from getting on the stand. Oh, yeah. I, uh, she, you never, what, what would be the point? 
Right. I mean, really, literally, they have nothing there. Once that inquest, which should never... I mean, personally speaking, I don't think it should ever gone to trial, period. But once that inquest was obviously thoroughly um, saying, uh, yeah, why, why would you speak? So, right. I mean, it didn't do any... It didn't do any matter. They didn't need to speak, Lizzie. All she would have... I mean, I personally... It's not like... Given her personality, I doubt she was going to have an emotional breakdown and confess on the stand. But at the same time, it wouldn't—it wouldn't have helped her any which way. No, and and there was really no need to have her testify at that point. So, um, you know, Lizzie ends up getting acquitted, but in in the eyes of the the town and the public, she's still uh, suspect number one. Everybody feels that she killed her father and stepfather um some some think that it was out of um anger because of the business deals that there was an argument about the the way the inheritance is being given off and all that kind of stuff some claim that she was sexually assaulted by her father but that wasn't proven um others felt that she was caught in a a romantic lesbian quest and that Abby found out and was going to make it known to the father and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, a lot of theories and they all seem to pop up after the fact, nothing before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so... Uh, we may never know the truth. I mean, people still look into this now, um, but unfortunately, the way evidence was handled, there would be no way for us to go back and use modern technology to examine the yeah. evidence. Um, unlike stuff like Jack, Jack the Ripper, which we will get into, they recently, about, what, 10, 15 years ago... Uh, did DNA tests on what they believe to be a jacket of Jack the Rippers um, and found familial matches and things like that. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's all the chain of evidence things. If, if it had been done well, then we probably could have figured it out and posthumously charged Lizzie with Some. something. Um, if it was her, so... I, I mean, I'm sure we're going to have our final thoughts, but just my opinion, I mean, and again, this, in spite of everything, that all the alternate theories, I still kind of think she did it. I just don't think they ever found out how she did it. I think they gave her too much time to ditch the evidence. I think she probably planned this out fairly well, and I think... But I think, and she just got really, really lucky in the fact that police were just so inept or whatever their motivations were. They were just so inept in their investigation that she was never in any danger of, you know, getting getting really arrested, facing the hangman's noose or anything. I mean, for God's sake, they let her stay in the home during after the investigation she could literally wake up in the middle of the night and get rid of the murder weapon wherever she put it she could literally get rid of it and that's it that means 
it, a case like this boils down to motive. Who's got the most motive? We can talk about, yes, Andrew Porter may or may not have had shady dealings or this, but the big glaring person who has the motivation to kill her father and kill her stepmother is Lizzie. Sure. So, but, but like I said, though, there's no evidence of it, so this is just my opinion, simply because it's the most direct. This, this really reads like a, a premeditated crime of passion. This is what this reads to Um, But yeah, so... Uh, that concludes Lizzie Borden. Um... <laughs> I mean, there's there's not much more to go into. I mean, we could go into her later in life. Uh, but basically, she died in 1927. Uh, she Her gallbladder was removed, and she got pneumonia, and she died. Um, and then her sister Emma died from uh, chronic nephritis in a nursing home in New Hampshire. Uh, but yeah, so... They were buried in the family plot at Oak Grove Cemetery, and at her time of death, she was worth $5.6 million. Well, $250,000 then, but it equates to $5.6 million now. So, um, but yeah. So, we are going to be venturing into... A few other things. Um, I know Ben has one thing that he's doing next week. And then we are going to start a... Basically a... I'm going to call it a treasure trail of series. So we're going to start with one topic that coincidentally has to do with another topic. That will lead us into another one. That will lead us into another one and another one to be very interesting i cannot wait because it is also it's going across the board so it's gonna go from serial killers to haunted places to ghosts to disappearance cases and this and that so it'll it'll be very interesting in this in this series that we'll all touch on but um but yeah so Please, please, please. Uh, we want to say thank you for visiting the Scarlet Tavern. Please remember to turn in your glasses, push in your seat, and as always, tip the bard. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.